Welcome to a new Carter Report series, The Game Changers. These rare individuals appear once in a lifetime, like a blazing meteor across the night sky. They change the course of history. They show us the way forward. Welcome to The Game Changers. I'm so glad today to give you the warmest welcome to the Carter Report. This is the fourth part of a terrific series. The series is called The Game Changes. There are some people who've made a tremendous change in the lives of millions and millions of people. There are some people who are just a lot of noise and uh, also they're mainly froth and bubble. But there are, are a few people in the history of the world that have changed their lives positively, who've changed the world for good, millions of people. And we call these people the game changers. And you can, if you write to us, you can get the other three. This is number four in the series. But this today is about a person whom Jesus spoke about. And Jesus said, of all the people who've lived on planet Earth, all the hundreds, millions, and billions, there's no one who is greater than this person. And we call him today the game changer. I want you to take your Bible, and we've got Bibles out here in the studio. And we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11. And this is the appraisal of Jesus Christ, the greatest person in the history of the human race. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Uh, one of the great game changers we studied a few weeks ago was Moses. He was the mighty man who led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt through the Red Sea. A person who gave us, under the hand of God, the Ten Commandments. I mean, he's just, just a, such a tremendous man. But Jesus said, Moses was not greater than this man. Uh, then of one of our previous programs, we talked about Elijah. Elijah was the man who brought down fire from God out of heaven. Quite extraordinary. And at the end of his life, he was caught up in a fiery chariot and taken home to the very throne of God. He wasn't greater than this man. In our previous program, we spoke about the most famous king in the world, King David, the man who wrote most of the book of Psalms, the father of the Messiah. But David, in all his excellence and all his glory, was not greater than John the Baptist. And so today, our game changer is John the Baptist. I want you to turn in the Bible to Matthew chapter 11, and we have a commentary here from Jesus. Matthew 11 and verse 7. Jesus here is talking to the disciples about John. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, John the Baptist, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. 
Now, John was out in the wilderness preaching his heart out and telling the people that the Messiah was going to come. And when Jesus was talking about John and giving an appraisal of his life, he said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? He said, did you go out to see a reed? You know what a reed does, don't you? It goes with the wind. It goes this way and that way, according to the wind. John the Baptist was not a politician running for office, telling the people anything they wanted to hear. John the Baptist was not a reed blowing in the wind. John the Baptist, the Bible says, was an oak. Nothing could move him. Then if you look at verse 8, the next verse, Jesus is talking. But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Have you heard of the word dandy? It's an old English word. A dandy. A dandy was a person who was excessively concerned about his appearance. And so Jesus said, did you go out into the wilderness to see a dandy? (laughs) There's another word for a dandy, that is a fop. Have you heard this word? You know it now. F-O-P, a fop. Did you go out to see a fop? Some weakling blowing in the wind. No, 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 no. Verse, next verse says, verse 9, but what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. So this man was not only a great preacher, not only a great teacher, not only a great prophet, but Jesus said he was more than a prophet, none greater. Most of us have never heard about him. Verse 10, for this is he, Jesus says, of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. So here is a man who is God's messenger. He's been given the most important work that's ever been given to a human being. His work is to prepare the world for the coming of the Son of God. And Jesus says, among those born women, there's not risen one greater than John the Baptist. And if you also notice, I think, verse 14, Jesus says, Matthew 11, verse 14. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. Elijah had to confront two very wicked people with a bunch of other wicked people. Who were they? It was Ahab and Jezebel and all the priests of an apostate religion. And he was God's man to take them on. And John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of Elijah to confront an Ahab and a Jezebel and the priests of an apostate church. 
He was one of the great game changers. What we're going to do, we're going to turn things on its head today. We're going to start at the end of his life. End of his life is the time of wine, women and song. You've all heard, haven't you, of Herod the Great. He was that indescribable monster who was around when Jesus was born and he killed all the little baby boys in Bethlehem. Well, he had a number of sons and one of his sons was Herod Antipas. He was not a real king. He was just a little king. He was a tetrarch. That means he was given a fourth of his father's kingdom. And he is a part of the story today. Herod Antipas. He married Herodias, the lawful wife of his brother Philip. Herodias only just discovered this this week. Herodias was also his niece. And so not only was he committing adultery, but he was involved in an incestuous relationship. And this is condemned, of course, in the book of Leviticus. What was Herod like? Herod was a reed blowing in the wind. He was a fop. He was a, a dandy. He was a weak man controlled by his lusts. Herodias was like Jezebel, a wicked woman. And Herodias had what apparently was a beautiful daughter whose name is not written down in the scriptures. Did you know this? The name of Herodias is not recorded in the scriptures. We know her name from extra biblical sources. Her name was Salome. Extra sources, but you won't read about it in the Bible. What happened reveals John's character. Herod enjoyed John's preaching. And John could preach up a storm. He was an impassioned preacher. There was a saying in secular Australia when I grew up that there were three sexes. Men, women and clergymen. A clergyman was a dandy or a fop. But John was a man's man and he knew he was a man. It's a dangerous thing to listen to God's preacher unless you are prepared to obey God's word. John said, you do not have the right to this woman. She belongs to Philip. Now, after you've listened to a prophet or a man of God, my friends, you are either much better off or else you are much worse off. You will not be the same. Because if you expose yourself to the preaching of a man of God and he's filled with the Holy Spirit, either you are going to obey or else you are going to harden your heart and commit the unpardonable sin. And what happened to Herod, uh, he hardened his heart. When I was a boy preacher, I learned uh, 
the poem or the hymn, there's a line that is crossed by rejecting the Lord. Where the call of the Spirit is lost, as you travel along mid the pleasure-mad throng, have you counted, have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost if your soul should be lost? And so there is a line drawn in the sand, and if you cross over it, you cannot go back. Herod crossed over it. John was an old-fashioned preacher of old-fashioned virtues and values. He believed in what we would call today traditional family values. He believed in marriage that was between one man and one woman. You cannot believe scripture and not believe in that. He believed adultery was wrong. One man, one woman. What would he say today? I was watching CNN when the Supreme Court said it was lawful and good uh, for a man to have sex with a man and a woman to have sex with a woman. Same-sex marriage. And of course, there was tremendous pressure placed upon everybody to give up his Christian beliefs and go with the crowd because the President of the United States was leading the charge. But he only did so, of course, when he was sure that he was in the majority. This same-sex marriage that was celebrated and applauded by the President of the United States, who was influenced by the liberals of Hollywood, turned the world upside down it was America's darkest day. Now, here is a magazine that every person ought to get, Liberty Magazine. And I'm going to quote you from Liberty Magazine. And this is when the Supreme Court did this act. When the U.S. Supreme Court voted to legalize gay marriage, many thought this was one of the most significant and lawless rulings in U.S. history, since it was not a constitutional issue and changed the social order. And I can tell you, John the Baptist would have thundered against it. I listened to an interview by the English interviewer, Piers Morgan, who professed to be a Christian. He interviewed that great pastor, Rick Warren. He said, uh, Pastor Warren, we respect you. Can you not give in a little bit? Rick Warren said, I love every person. I love lesbians, I love gays, I, I love every person. But he said, the Bible teaches that marriage is between one man and one woman. And then Piers Morgan showed his hand. He said, isn't it time for you to change the Bible. Hmm. Uh, Rick Warren said, we can't change the Bible. Our conscience is bound by the word of God. He said, well, it is time to update the Bible and get rid of these embarrassing uh, texts. Rick Warren said, never, 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 never. I have seen... 
Listen, I have seen Christians ridiculed on TV because they believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. And I've heard hate speech directed against them. They've been called terrible names because they believe in the teachings of Christ. I have asked this question, will the time come here in the United States of America when Christians will be ridiculed because they are against pedophilia and because they are against polygamy? Will that day also come? Now, did you know that in France, in France, The great liberals of that great nation uh, have been marching in the streets of of, of Paris demanding uh, pedophilia rights. The rights to enjoy... This is in France, and I would ask the question logically, if there is no God, and if there are no Ten Commandments, then why not? Then why not? Don't come and say to me, uh, because it's against uh, society. Society has been changing tremendously. But today, we stand on the word of God. So I am watching the liberal media here in the United States of America which is polluting the world. And they have found some pastors who are applauding same-sex marriage. And the people on CNN are applauding and laughing. Let me tell you folks something. We stand on the word of God. And today I would press upon you the question, what would John the Baptist say today, if he were on CNN, what would he say to Herodias? He was great in the sight of the Lord because of his courage and his convictions. Remember this, he was not a dandy and he was not a fop. He was not a reed. Now back to Herod and Herodias. Herodias was like Jezebel. Crafty, scheming, treacherous, immoral, pardon my saying it, she was a bad woman. And she hated John. Why? Because John taught the truth. And if you teach the truth, bad people are going to hate you. Remember the saying, a man is known by his friends and also his enemies. And John had some enemies, and they were bad people. Salome dances. She is young, beautiful, and uh, seductive. The king is taken in, and his passions are aroused. Remember the words of King Saul, I played the fool and erred exceedingly. True. Of Herod. And uh, the king, of course, it's his birthday, and the king is drunk, blind drunk. And the king does something that he would never do under normal circumstances. He says to this young woman, 
What do you want? I'll give you anything you want to half of my kingdom. And so the girl, Salome, she runs off to mummy and she says to mummy, what shall I ask of your quote, husband? Close the quote. And she says to Salome, bring me the head of John the Baptist on a platter, on a plate. So the king tries to get out of it because conscience is aroused. He's dealing with one of the greatest men in the history of the world. And this profligate woman wants to murder him. But nobody there will let the king off the hook. He waits and he waits, but all the ladies and all the lords are dumb and numb because the wine is in. And so some soldiers are sent to the prison. John hears the beat of feet. Matthew 14, verses 8 to 11. Matthew 14, 8 to 11. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. Her day is coming. The king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of his oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. But I will say again, uh, her day is coming. John died for his faith. John had convictions, not a dandy, not a wimp, not a fop, not a reed, a man sent from God. He died for his moral convictions around the sanctity, about the sanctity of marriage. That is why I believe we need to stand up for these things. He was a young man, not an old man. He was in his early 30s, we believe. Now we need to go back to the beginning. And we come to Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. This is the beginning. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, Herod the Great, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were very, very old And even though they had wanted a son, this had been denied to them. Zacharias is a priest. Every now and then he goes into the temple to minister. And one day he's ministering and an angel appears. And the angel has a message. Look at verse 11 and 12, Luke 1, 11 and 12. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear came upon him. So the angel comes and the angel comes with a message. And uh, we'll notice the next verse, verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. 
and you shall call his name John. Zechariah said, no. When I have a son, his name's going to be called Zacharias. The angel said, John. And because you haven't believed this, you are going to be dumb and unable to speak. But this boy is going to be extraordinary. Luke 1 verse 15. Luke 1 verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, God said through Gabriel. He's going to do the greatest work ever committed to the sons of men. And because he's got this tremendously important work to do, he's not going to touch wine or strong drink. Goodness. I quote the Centers for the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Excessive alcohol use led to approximately 88,000 deaths and 2.5 million years of potential life lost each every year in the United States. I think of the people, am I getting close to you? I hope so. Do you sometimes wonder why the people in Washington never seem to be able to get it right? When you hear of the terrible fatalities of people being killed, just down the road from us, five young people got into a Mercedes, the father's car, drove out, all got killed, all drunk. I think of rape and murder and broken homes and broken hearts. Years ago, I heard Dr. Scharfenberg tell the story. Visiting a boy in death row. Boy was going to be put to death. He said, what did you do, boy? He said, I killed my mother, killed my mother. Tell me about it. He said, I came home late at night. I loved my mother. She came out and she started to nag me. Where have you been? What have you been doing? He said, I was blind with alcohol. He said, I went and got a knife out of the kitchen drawer and I stabbed my mother to death. Weeping, weeping. Dr. Schaffenberg said, boy, this is a terrible story. You didn't know what you're doing. No, I didn't know what I was doing. Now I'm going to die. I murdered my mother. And then Schaffenberg asked the question. He said, this may help somebody else one day. Who gave you your first drink? He said, my mother gave me my first drink. didn't know what he was doing. Now, God was calling this man, John, to do a special purpose. English had a saying, when the wine is in, the wit is out. And he wanted this young man to have a clear mind because he was the herald of the coming of the Messiah. The best 
is still to come. We'll be back after this break. Stay with us. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.